Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm Dan, and I have a really big voice. All the Rileys have always had big voices. We're known for that. Okay. Um, I'm glad you're here this morning. You've caught us, if you're a guest, right in the middle of um, a series we called Super Summer 7 uh, right here. And what we're talking about are some of the issues and things that we face during the summer that's maybe a little bit unique to this season. And it's also kind of a clever way for me to get in some of the messages and ideas that really maybe don't fit in another series somewhere uh, that God just kind of brings to my mind and th issues and things that I think about and uh, want to address. And for those of you who maybe don't, you know, know me or been around Calvary, um, my whole life is about grace. It's just one big story of grace. And so I talk about that a lot. I talk a lot about grace, and I talk a lot about how much God loves us and how, how overwhelming that is to me. Uh, so in the midst of that, sometimes I, I, I feel like that's really my whole life message, but I don't want to say that so much that you feel like you can, you know, kind of sit back and it's like, ah, I'm just going to rest in that grace. And that's what Dan talks about a lot. There is a response to that grace. And there is something that is stirred within us to move forward within that, in this new life uh, that we have. I read my utmost for his highest every day, and I probably will for the rest of my life. And and today's was just about this one thing, that our life as followers of Jesus is really not so much trying to mimic him or to imitate what would he do in this moment, but to release his spirit and his life in me so that it's really not me for Jesus, it's Jesus in me, him through me. Does that make sense? If you get nothing else and you get that... Uh, Wow, you've got about 90% of the gospel that most people miss. So there's this issue of expectations and realities. And I think that's true in all areas of our life, not just in a spiritual sense of what is it that I expect of the Lord when I came to Christ. And, uh, you know, we have two new believers who were baptized this morning. And I wonder, what are these girls' expectations of the rest of their life is going to look like in Jesus compared to what it would have looked like outside of Christ? I don't know. You know, we had those, well, those thoughts. And more importantly, or kind of on the other side of that, what are his expectations of me? We say that the gospel's free and that it's a free gift, and it is. But with that, do there come expectations? Yes. Let me give you an idea of what I talk about and just kind of get you in this groove with me as far as the difference between expectations and realities, because um, we've all done that. Those of you who are in college or those of you maybe going to move up uh, this year to college and you've got all these ideas. I didn't go to college for like two years after high school, 
and my life actually calmed down. I went, <laughs> I went back in my lifestyle to a more peaceful, sane place than the way I had been living. Uh, but you may have expectations of college, especially on the weekends, and maybe it looks something like this, your expectation. Here's all the things you're going to do this weekend. It's just going to be awesome, and you've got it all lined up. And in reality, there's what you're really going to do. Uh, is n not so much. And most of us kind of live like that sometimes. Or have you ever had in mind a certain way you wanted to look, maybe a celebrity or a movie star, and you thought, yes, I want to look like that. And maybe your stylist said, well, bring me a picture in. Well, I was kind of laughing about that once with, my, with a stylist and and I uh, was in the, uh, this place where I get my hair cut. And so I just pointed to a picture of a guy on the wall. And I said, I want to look like that guy. And she just looked at me with this pitiful look. And she said, oh, honey, I can cut your hair as close to that as I can. But you're never going to look like that guy. <laughs> and that started for us when we were kids, right? And just when you were little kids. And you'd see the box in the store. And you'd think, Oh, wow, this is going to be the most awesome toy. And for Christmas, you asked for this or for a birthday present. And maybe you saw the ads on television. You thought it was going to be so great on Saturday morning. But then you got it, and the box looked like that. But in reality, that's more really what you got set up. Have you ever tried to do something special, those of you who are really good at preparing dishes or maybe baking? Uh, I'm not a real good person in the kitchen and everything, but I have seen people do that. And I know some of you can do this. I've seen some of the works you do. But, um, yeah, we're going to move past that one now. And, <laughs> gonna, you know, and this is the way the Elmo cake is supposed to look, and that's the way yours looks, you know. And you think, ah, there's the expectation, but in reality... Or, you know, maybe you went for the most popular thing with Frozen last year, and the expectation was your cake was going to look like this. But now your child's in therapy because <laughs> something hideous that they can't get out of their mind and they have bad dreams at night. And, and so you're working through the nightmares of what birthdays have become. You know, and for there's adult versions of that. You know, you think if anybody's going to get it right and they're going to just do this because the whole thing is built on quality. It's got to be Starbucks, right? There's one one mile in that direction, and there's one one mile in that direction. So we always live in sort of a caffeinated fog right here at Calvary. But that's the way it looks, and that's the way it is when they hand it to you at the drive-thru. You know, there's the reality, and there's the expectation. Now, I think there's nobody that hits this or that helps me with this illustration any better than fast food places. One of my first jobs when I was about 14 years old was at Dairy Queen. Okay? Loved working there. I'm surrounded by hamburgers and ice cream all day. What 14-year-old boy doesn't love working there? But you know what? We would get busy, and so I'm just throwing out the dilly bars, and I'm putting those cheeseburgers out. You know, I'm just doing that. But when my friends would come in and ask for a ice cream cone, do you think they got, you know, they said, I just want a small wink, wink. I'd go, I'll give you a small wink back at you. And their small would be about this tall. You know, they're balancing it like some tower as they walk out because that's my friend. And I put a lot of effort into that. 
But there's the advertising, there's the expectation, and I just pulled some of these. I think Taco Bell's got to be the king of this. That's what your taco's supposed to look like, and they told you it would look like, and that's what you got when you opened your nacho box. Okay, there's the reality there. This is like the saddest picture I think I could find because that's what I want. I don't know if that's like a steak quesadilla. What is that? And then that's really what you get. And Taco Bell's not the only one. I think they all do it. So, uh, you know, th th here's McDonald's. That's, there's the Big Mac and what it's supposed to look like. But that's when you uh, pull it away and you open your box. That's what it is, right? So there's the expectation and there's the reality of it. And um, then this has got to be my favorite right here, and I saved it for you. Uh, Burger King, look at that. That is awful. You know, that's, uh, I have a friend who went to a Burger King a few years ago, and he had never been inside a Burger King. And he said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, you just give them a number. He said, well, what if you want it like that? I said, don't, just, just give them a number. So he just walked in, and he, I thought, how do you get to be his age and had never been to a Burger King? And the reason I say it like that is because once I had a group of friends from Japan to stay here in Knoxville with us, and I was assured that everyone could speak English plenty well enough to get along. Well, I took them to the water park in Pigeon Forge because I thought that would be a lot of fun, but everybody's hungry. So I drove down the parkway there, and I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And I said, what do you guys want to eat? What do you want to eat? And we were having a hard time understanding each other. Finally, one of the students pointed at the big sign that said Burger King. And he began to say, Burger King, Burger King. And a chant rose up with the whole bus. And you could hear us for like 500 yards all around us. Burger King, Burger King. So we pulled in, and we all got Burger Kings. We couldn't order, so we just ordered by numbers. But I could see their faces and I could see their disappointment. Of, but this is what the picture is. And that's what we got. And isn't life that way often? I could probably do that, you know, in so many other circumstances. And there's just places and times maybe you've thought about, well, I thought my vacation was going to be like this. Or I ordered this piece of clothing in the mail and it came in. It wasn't like that exactly. Maybe summer's that way for you. Maybe back in May, you know, in April, and you're thinking about vacation, you're thinking about being out of class, you're thinking about taking some time off from work and just enjoying summer. Because I tell you, I love summer. It's my favorite time of the year. Now it's July. And you're tired of being hot. I thought yesterday morning I wanted to go run trails. I've started back doing that. I love doing that. And so I found a good place where some trails are. And I went in the morning. I th that'll be a little cooler. And it's shaded, you know. There's a lot of trees over it. I came off. I was just soaking wet, you know. But I still love summer. But sometimes the expectations and the reality don't fit. And you're disappointed. If we view helping other people and having a genuine ministry that changes lives and being there for those who are needy in, in our world, what if we were to do that and to have the attitude towards each of these moments and relationships and people 
as if we were taking care of Jesus himself, specifically, individually, physically. Would that change the way you minister and the way you live and the way you treat other people if you knew it was Jesus? There's no way we can take summer and use it as a time to sit idly by while we know there are things that need to be done, and maybe even people around us who are suffering or just need a hand. When you think about it, the American ideal summer is kind of selfish, isn't it? I mean, I always think about what I'm going to do and what I like about it, where I want to go. And I asked a friend this morning, I said, hey, you got your boat out? You, I just invited myself. I said, will you take me to the lake? <laughs> Let me ski. And he goes, yeah, I'll take you. And I thought, okay, that's part of summer. It's, it's kind of a selfish thing. But, but folks, when, when we see the life-changing effects, when you stop and think about your new priorities and your life without idols, your life with no more shame. How can we keep that to ourselves? How can we not talk about that? How can we not get off the couch and show Jesus to people around us during the summer? There's a scripture that really talks about that and brings it into focus. And I, I want to share that with you. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it unto one of these, of the least of these, you didn't do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Verse 31 says that when he comes in his glory, in his glory, and that's such a big word that if you were to look that up in the original language or in one of your study tools, you would find that it, you know, where some words take up a a paragraph or maybe half a page, this one could go on for pages because it's so big and it's so strong. Jesus left this world in a completely different way than he will return. He left beaten and battered, humiliated and crucified. And then he arose. But when he comes again, that same Jesus will come in glory. He'll come in glory. And that word, it's hard to even wrap my mind around it. It means to be honored, to be due the recognition that is yours just because of who you are. It means splendor. And it always carries with it this idea of something that's bright and dazzling and light. Jesus comes in his glory. And I love the way it follows this up. And he says that he comes in his glory and he sits on his glorious throne. And whenever you see the same word used twice in the same proximity, like in the same sentence or close to one another in Scripture, it's there purposefully because the grammar of ancient Greek, the way it was was written was to add emphasis. We do that today. We go, it was really, really good, or that was so awesome. And we, you know, we, especially as Americans, most of us speak over the top. We don't understate things. We overstate. Well, this is an overstatement. Jesus comes in his glory, and he sits on his glorious throne. He won't be the same the next time. Now he is glorious. And scripture says that he gathers all nations. And the word nations, it's inclusive. And that's the best word you could pick to say, we're talking about everybody. All the people, all the tribes, all the races, all the countries, everybody. Just think about this. This is so, so big. It says everybody gathers all the nations. And then it says all the angels. And I tried to think of another place in scripture. Can you? Where All the people, all the human beings, and all of these created beings, these heavenly beings, angels, are all gathered together in the same place at the same time. All the, uh, I'd say, intelligent beings, because I know you'll come up afterwards and say, my border collie is so smart, my cat is so intelligent, I'm offended you said that, and Okay, I get what you're saying, but all those with spirit, all those who worship the Lord, all the people, all the angels are gathered together in this glorious moment. 
You know, this is a reflection. We see this in every, when we talk about sheep and goats. Do you know that they mingle during the day, but at night, the shepherd separates them because the sheep can tolerate the cool air, but goats have to be herded together uh, for the warmth. So in the day, uh, you look out and you see them all together, and it's even hard to tell which one is which, right? If you're a guy like me, you're suburban, and you think, yeah, I think that's a, is that a goat or is that a sheep? What is that, you know? But at night, they're separated. It's a perfect word picture for us, too. There are only two groups. Sometimes we make up a third option or we say, well, I'm really not this, I'm really not this. You know, I'm not Christian, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I'm really not a sinner either. And that just, that kind of hurts my feelings that you would say that. I'm something else. I'm spiritual. You know, and, and I said that kind of mockingly, and I, and I think maybe you might be sincere or maybe just use that as a, as a catch-all phrase because we're really not sure. There's only two groups, those in Jesus and those not. And I said, no, that sounds narrow-minded, but it is. <laughs> when Jesus explains how and why some are put on the left and some are put on the right. It's, it's really interesting to me. And, and this is, every time I've, 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 I read this, it kind of catches you know, my imagination. Or my, the next question I ask in, inside is that there isn't anything declared that's like a moral violation. You guys are going to be over here because you know what you did. He, did, he doesn't mention that. Faith isn't mentioned. There's no violation or specific thing, unforgiveness, and I understand that's part of it. But in this context, in this moment, all that he talks about is kindness. And what we've actually done or haven't done for one another, for other, other people. And to follow up with that idea, that thought, both groups are unaware of why they would be designated to the left or to the right. They don't understand, how did I get here? Why am I over on this side? The righteous are unaware of anything out of the ordinary or special that they've done that would be so deserving. They're just being themselves. Well, of course we came to see you. Well, of course we bought you a meal. I mean, but we didn't expect, because that's the way righteous are. That's just righteous people being righteous. The unrighteous are equally unaware of what they didn't do. And can you just hear the offense in their voice? And they go, well, when did we not do that? We didn't do that to you. I, I, my goodness, we would, if we ever saw you, Jesus, you know we would have given you some clothes. We would have come and visited you. We, we would have done that. They're just so unaware of themselves and how they've ignored the Lord. Because... That's just the way unrighteous folk are. Caring for each other and caring for the poor and caring for people who are needy and, and, and folks, people just around us who are hurting is a lot more practical than we think. I wonder if, if sometimes we, we just make it too complicated 
and into something super spiritual. And Jesus said, it's not really like that. I, it does take more than good intentions and more than just positive words to help folks out. When you drive by or when you say, yeah, we're going to be praying for you. You know, I told somebody that the other day. And, and even as I said it, I thought, I know how that sounds. I know that they know I'm a pastor and that we say stuff like that. I'll be praying for you, but does it come across as a cliche? I said, I want you to know that even though it sounds like preacher talk, I'm literally really going to be praying for you. James chapter 2 is pretty startling because James spoke in such blunt language sometimes, but I want you to hear this. In verse 14, he follows up on the same idea of Jesus when he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, I'll be praying for you. Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? And he goes on, he spends the rest of the chapter talking in that same way. It's important to pray for others, and it's important to encourage each others, and I'm all about that. But how are we, how am I, how are you being the hands and the feet of Jesus? You look back on this weekend, on last week, the week before that, the last month of your life, six months of your life, how have you actually been putting that into practice in this kind of way? Where it's not just thoughts or ideas. I have lots of good intentions and some of those I don't follow through on. And what James is asking is, what good is that? Because it's just in your head. Look how basic these are when we, you know, we chose the word connect because that's kind of the theme this year for, for Calvary. And we believe it's really our calling and our mission. And if you want to, you know, take our mission statement and its pages or you can get it down to a paragraph or a sentence. And we thought, could we get it down to one word? And this is the word we feel like God led us to connect. We connect with him through Jesus and we connect with one another through love. And then we connect with this community and other people in the world through service and through ministry. Connect. So how do we connect with people and help them with just the basics? I want you to, to, to see what Jesus chose here and what he mentioned are food, water, clothing. And he says welcoming. He said, you, you welcomed me. Now, that's really interesting because does that mean that as we pass people in the foyer or you see somebody in a restaurant or the mall that you go, hey, it's good to see you, you know? And I kind of think that or to say hi if they visit, you know, if you're in a Bible study here or a community group and somebody visits and you're nice to them and we think, well, I've been welcoming. It's really, anybody can do that, right? 
I mean, the meanest guy in town can be welcoming if he pushes himself. This word actually means, literally, here's what it says, to gather me in with you. The word welcoming means to gather me in with you. To not just say hi, but to say, hey, come eat with us. We want you to go. You're invited. We gather. It's more than being nice. It's more than smiling. But it's receiving and accepting one another. And you may think, well, that's kind of odd that he'd put that in with food and water and clothing. I get those are basic life needs. And I understand that those are kind of important. Do you know that acceptance and being part of something is just as vital as those other life needs? I think it's very purposeful that it's there. That's why when we want to punish someone, we isolate them. We put them in a prison or we put them in solitary confinement because we can't think of anything worse to do to a person than to disconnect them from people. So when Jesus says you're welcoming, you're connecting people to yourself and with one another. And I think you know our society and our culture, our community is crying to be connected, just to be connected. And he mentions visiting. I think visiting people, uh, whether it's prisons or hospitals or just people that you know are having a hard day or a hard time, uh, that carries with it this idea of just listening and just caring and just praying over them and being, being there for them. And the, the wonderful thing, the coolest thing about all of this is that all of us can do all of these. Isn't that great? There's no exemption. There's no, you know, there's no place you go, oh, that, you know, I'm out because I can't. I really, I'm not gifted in that way. Here's what Jesus said. He says, when you did it not to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. You don't need a theological education. You don't need a degree. You don't even need training. You don't have to go anywhere special. You don't have to have special talents or abilities and all of that. And think, well, I, I really can't do that because I've never been to seminary. I've never been to college. So I don't think I'm going to be able to buy somebody a meal. I don't think I can give you a bottled water because, you know what, I really don't know a lot about the Bible as much. You know, Jesus says, just go and just take care of people. You can do that. You can make a difference. And then I think you win the right through that to be heard. I'm going to give you an illustration that maybe will hit a little closer to home. Last week I mentioned an appeal uh, that we need some help this summer in our children's ministry, especially on Wednesday nights. And I get that a lot of people, midweek is tough and you don't come back on Wednesday nights. I've never badgered you about church attendance or telling you to give all the time. You know, I, I try, if those of you who know me, you know I don't use shame. I don't use guilt to try to get you to do what the Lord's already told you to do. But today I'm making an exception. <laughs> but I just mentioned, I said, hey, we need some help in the children's ministry. If you can just come one Wednesday night between now and school starts. If you can give us two, you can give us one. Take you a couple of hours. 
uh, and I know it's a, I know it's a, a deal. We had very few people out of this many people. We had very few people to respond to that. And some of our volunteers are here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And they love the Lord, and they love these children, and they love you, and they love families. They're burning out because they're there all the time, and they never get to be in this room or with their community group. It doesn't take any special ability for an hour or two or more. And like I say, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just giving you an illustration of how I think we're a little bit lazy in the summer and not willing to be maybe unselfish and to take care of our own children. We're not even reaching out yet. We're not even beyond, we're not even off the property. We're not in the community. We're not even doing missions yet. We're taking care of our own kids and helping each other. Hey, you're not accountable to me. And I think you know me by now. But I would not be a good pastor. I would not be able to, to say I have any kind of integrity if I didn't tell you. You are responsible for the Lord, to the Lord, and, and you'll give an account. I know that sounds harsh, but maybe you want to rethink not doing anything, especially in the summer, and just taking the summer off, and volunteer to help keep our children safe and free their parents up to be where they need to be or to invite someone to that beach bash I mean wouldn't that be a great entry level event for you to get that coworker or your neighbor or that classmate or that friend or that teammate or somebody that you know that you think in your family and you think they're not going to come to church they're probably not going to do that I wouldn't come to church my friend tried to get me to church I wouldn't go I had in my mind I knew all about what church must be like I didn't want to do that. But I went to a hayride with him, and I went to a concert, and I went to some other things. Hey, the beach bash, just invite somebody to that. I'm trying to just think of some practical things. Give some of your money away. <laughs> just give some of your money away. Summer's always a slump. We always go down, and we always struggle a little bit in the summer until fall, because when people oftentimes take vacations from their jobs, they take vacations from giving, and the church is the first place uh, that feels that crunch. I'm just trying to give you some ideas. Do one of those. Do all of those. Do all three of those. Interesting thing about this list that Jesus presented is that none of these are very hard to do. I added up last night and I thought, okay, let's say I buy somebody a meal. Let's say that would be 15 bucks. So I can take them down the street somewhere and get them something to eat. Let's say I take them to TJ Maxx and <laughs> Marshalls or somewhere. Probably not, you know, or take them to the factory outlet malls. And I just get them, just clothe them from head to toe. Okay, you know, and I did that. And then I did all these things. I came up, I added up about $137 that it would cost me if I did every one of these things in about two to four hours. Do you know these people may have been surprised to think that, you know, what caused me to go to the left or to the right was $137 in four hours of my time? Folks, it's just, it's just real practical. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to have special skills. These are pretty simple, easy things to do. But it makes a huge difference in people's lives, especially when we do this together. 
If Jesus were to physically walk into our church, I know you've heard guys say things like that and you try to imagine it, but if, if he were to really walk in that door back there in the middle of this message, everything would stop. I mean, can you imagine everybody's plans, schedules, appointments, whatever I was going to do the rest of this day doesn't matter anymore. People would drop everything. And if he needed anything at all, you can imagine how quickly uh, we, would, we would fall over each other, scrambling to get it done. Jesus tells us to help those who need him the way we'd help him if he were really here. That's the lesson. That's what he says. So, are our expectations of the Lord and of ourselves and his expectations of us and the reality of how that's playing out in our lives, do those sync? Do those fit for you? Are they in rhythm? Or does it look as different as... Put that Burger King back up there for me, please. Um, that that work does yeah either one of those. Which of those, when it comes to really living out the Christ life, and it's just a I know that's a terrible picture, but which is really where you are? Is it really where I am? Expectations versus realities. Hey, I know this is a tough, this is a tough lesson today, um, but let's pray about it. Let's see where God would take us next and what it is he wants you to change about your lifestyle and your ministry and just the way we, we live day to day with other people in a community like this. And are we ministering to Jesus when we minister to other people? Absolutely, yes. Are we not doing that when we don't? Absolutely, yes. Let's stand together.